0: It is a privilege and an honor to be behind this pulpit today, and we all know that these are some really big shoes to try and fill, and I was honored when Pastor Luke asked me if I would preach on Mother's Day, and I'll confess to you, though I've preached many times around the world, this is the very first time I have ever preached on a Mother's Day, and God has this amazing sense of humor, and I know that he's smiling right now because Both he and I know that Mother's Day used to send me into a very deep and dark depression. Now, I know that might be hard for you to believe since you just heard that I have 12 kids and 11 grandkids and know that wasn't the reason for my depression. There was this long season in my life where I was desperate to have a child, but I was barren. And this morning I'd like to share with you for a few moments about holding on to your hope and finding his purpose in life. The waiting, And our text for today is going to be found in Psalm 138, verse 8. Now you might think this is a really odd subject for a Mother's Day message, but bear with me for just a few moments and I am sure that you will see it's not only appropriate, but it's applicable to each one of our lives as well. So let's look at our text and it's in Psalm 138, 8. I'm reading out of the ESV. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love endures forever, O God. Do not forsake the works of your hand. And the Good News Translation says, You will do everything that you have promised, Lord, because your love is eternal. Complete the work that you have begun. Now, Mother's Day was never a good day for me. I was sad and I was frustrated and I was a bit confused because I would cry out to God and I'd say, why did you make me this way, wanting so desperately to have a family if you weren't planning on giving me children? Because I'd always wanted a big family from the time I was a little girl. And try as I might, I could never make it happen. I went to doctors, specialists, I had all these tests, and they even put me on the same fertility drug that the Octomom had, but nothing And during these occasions, I was a pretty miserable, self-focused individual. But what I did not understand was that in this difficult place that I was finding myself in, there was a whole other plan and another path that God had wanted me to walk. Now, if I would have given birth to children in the time frame that I had laid out for my life, I wouldn't have been interested in going down that path that God had already mapped out for me. Now, God had put this deep desire inside of my heart to be a mother from the time I was a very little girl. But no matter what I did and no matter how I prayed, that desire would never change. And so one day, I made the conscious decision to stop being miserable. And I began to open myself up to the very possibility that God had another plan. I reminded him of those feelings that had been placed inside of me by him And then I asked God, now, what are you going to do with them? When I finally submitted to his plan, God started to unveil the plan. And it began with a little girl from Fort Yukon and an agency known as foster care. Now, I still kept trying to be a mom in the natural way, but my focus had shifted because I was busy being a mom. Because he had kept me from conceiving, I was in the right place, at the right time both emotionally, positionally, and spiritually to open my heart to a little Abathabascan baby boy who was born with myelomeningocele, hydrocephalus, and dislocated hips. He was six weeks old, and he was all alone. Now, I couldn't even pronounce the medical issues that he had, but I said yes when they asked me if I would take him. And he went to the hospital, and there he was sitting in this baby swing with this foam brace around his little diaper to keep his hips in place. The left half of his little dark head had been shaved, and there was this Frankenstein-like scar down the side of it, from where a shunt had been placed to remove the excess spinal fluid off of his brain. And there was this huge scar on his tiny little back, where they had to expose the, the uh, where they had to sew up that exposed spinal cord. And he looked so small sitting in that swing. But when I looked into those big brown eyes, every latent maternal instinct within me came screaming to the forefront because I needed him as much as he needed me. And so we became family. And in time, we legally adopted him, and he became my eldest son, Joseph. But God wasn't finished yet. I continued to do foster care, and over 100 children came through my home in the 17 years that I did that. And along the way... We adopted many more, and eventually, God allowed me to give birth to three. Last count, we had an even dozen, but it was in the fullness of his good time, not mine. Now, the reason that I'm sharing this over personal introduction is to express how important it is to not quit, to learn how to hold on to your hope and even find God's purpose in those long seasons of waiting. Now, this is just one example from my life of things hoped for, but they never seem to come to fruition, at least not in my timetable. And so we might be in our prayer closet sometimes, or we might be at a youth convention or a conference or a revival meeting, and God plants something deep inside of our spirit. It might be a passion for missions or a business model or a promise of a future godly spouse or a call to full-time ministry. And we know in our heart it's from God. And so we eagerly receive that word, and we're all ready to quit our job and start following Pastor Luke around because we're certain he's going to put us on staff at any moment because we receive that call. But no matter how hard we try to do it, we just can't seem to make it come to pass. Or God gives you a burden to pray for a loved one, for a healing, or perhaps for a prodigal child to come back to the Lord. But it seems like no matter how long we pray or how much we pray, we feel like we're alone. There's this brass heaven over us, and God seems very distant, and we feel like we're alone. We're in that uncomfortable place of waiting. Now today we're going to be talking a lot about waiting and delayed expectations. The definition of waiting is a bit distressing for us control freaks like me. It's the action of staying where one is or delaying action Until a particular time, remember that phrase, or something else happens. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Spiritually, emotionally, physically, waiting on God to do something? You question in your prayer time, how long, God, how long do I have to hold on to this without seeing an answer? And then you begin the process of what's wrong with me. It's a self-examination. Did I do something wrong? am I in sin? Did I not hear you correctly, God? Well, all of that probably sounds familiar, but what I've come to discover is that it's not about me. There's always a backstory going on where God is busily working behind the scenes. We just can't see it yet because it doesn't directly affect us at this moment, but he's positioning people Time has to pass, and certain things must first be accomplished before our portion comes into play. So for just a moment, I'd like you to imagine yourself in a movie script. And you read your part, and you have a pretty good idea of what and where your character is supposed to be in that role that you've been given to play. And because you have the whole script in your hand, you know exactly how your character interacts with all the other characters in that movie. And so you know the sequence of events that have to play out before your role comes back into being and the plot is realized. So you're not always in every scene because major and minor characters also have roles and they have to do what they're supposed to do before your part can unfold and before that whole story is realized. And then finally, it's your cue to come back on camera and complete your scene. Everything that has to be done is now perfectly in place, and that is precisely what God is doing behind the scenes. When God plants something in your spirit, a promise, a call, a vision, a burden, or a word, we almost always have this expectancy that it's going to happen immediately. We are giddy and we're excited, like I was when I was taking the fertility drugs because it was like, finally, it's really going to happen this time. As time passes and it doesn't, we go through lots of different stages. And we eventually sometimes end up in the place where we feel frustrated or discouraged or sad or hopeless. We even feel barren because we were expecting something to shift or to grow. But nothing has, at least not in our time frame that we can see. The word of God establishes over and over again that God always keeps his promises. And according to Isaiah fifty five eleven, his word never, ever comes back void, but it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. So knowing that, we should be able to believe that whatever word or promise that God has given us in time, it will also come to pass. And that's where the faith portion comes into being. It's so important. It's imperative in these seasons that we learn to not only hold on to our faith, but not lose hope while we're in this waiting period and we must not allow ourselves and our impatience to try and get ahead of God because he alone is in t- charge of that master timeline so since this is mother's day i thought it would be appropriate to see how this principle is played out in some of the lives of these late to the gate birthing mothers in the bible Now I want you to pay close attention to this common thread that's being woven that's binding their stories together because it's like this giant tapestry that God is making and he's the only one who knows the colors as well as the pattern. But he's always faithfully working to bring to completion what he has purposed in his heart. But what is amazing is sometimes he allows us to play a part in bringing these things to pass. Romans 15:4 says that everything and that means everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope. And so today we're going to apply what Romans 15:4 says. We're going to look at the following stories that are written in the scriptures for our instruction and by utilizing what these ladies have learned through their endurance we can emerge encouraged and infused with a fresh hope, even perhaps uncovering his purpose for us in this waiting. Acts 10.34 assures us that God shows no favoritism. Therefore, we can be confident that if he did it for them, he will indeed do the same for us. Amen? So we are going to look at five mothers today. And for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the condensed version Amen. for each of these women that we look at. But I'll give you the scripture references so that you can read more about them at your leisure if you like. So here we go. Mother number one is found in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 3. And it's the story of Hannah. Now, Hannah is part of a two-wife household. Now, the other wife is having children, but Hannah is barren. And she's ridiculed in her home because, because she's barren. And even though being barren is grounds for a divorce, her husband, Elkanah, he reassures her that he loves her, and it's okay. He loves her enough even without producing a child. Well, one day on their way to Shiloh to observe one of the prescribed feasts, Hannah goes into the temple to petition God for a son. Now, she's inconsolable as she goes in there to pray quietly, and in her prayer time, She's just really worked up, but she's not really speaking out loud. She's just moving her mouth. And as she's praying, she vows to God that if he will indeed give her a son, she will return that son back to serve him in the temple for his whole life. Well, Eli's the priest, and he sees her in this state, and he thinks she's drunk. So he approaches her to rebuke her, only to find out that she's crying out to God for a miracle. Well, Eli tells Hannah, go in peace. God will give you what you've requested. Now we can see the backstory at work here because what Hannah didn't know was God is was in the process of changing things. It was a transition time in Israel. The priesthood was corrupt because Eli he couldn't even discern drunkenness from an intense prayer session. And his sons were very wicked. Anna was or Hannah was very, very desperate. And she knew that God had put this hunger inside of her to have this child because no matter what she did, no matter how many times she prayed, it just wouldn't lift. And even though her husband had removed that stigma of barrenness off of her and he reassured her of her love, she still couldn't get past this because Hannah was desperate for her miracle. And she wouldn't be denied, and she pursued God until he granted her petition. Hannah stayed vigilant. She didn't curl up and quit. And because she persisted, even when she was reviled and made fun of in her own home, God gave a promise that she would indeed have a son through a corrupt priest who was getting ready to be replaced by the very child he was prophesying into being. And with Eli's words, Hannah's hope was renewed and God opened her womb. Now Samuel was born, but he wasn't an ordinary child. He was the child that God had purposefully created for this moment in Israel's history. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. He was a major prophet. He was an intercessor. He was a priest, and he anointed the first two kings of Israel. And Samuel arrives in a time when words from the Lord are few. But after Samuel comes, there's much prophetic revelation. He was the voice of God on earth for 50 years, and two books of the Bible are devoted to him. So we can clearly see how God wasn't wasn't only working in Hannah's life, And about her needs and her wants. But there was many other characters and timelines that had to be in alignment before God would bring Samuel on the scene. Mother number two. And she's found in Genesis chapters 29 through 35. And it's the story of Rachel. Now Rachel is the love of Jacob's life. And he works 14 years to win her after his crafty father-in-law Laban substitutes Leah, the less attractive older sister, for the bride on the wedding night. Now... Leah is popping out babies like a Pez dispenser, but Rachel is barren. Now, Rachel is, of course, beside herself. She desperately wants to give Jacob a child. And so Leah and Rachel, they get into this competition where they even involve their handmaids into the birthing process, right? Rachel is so distraught, though, because try as she might, she can't seem to have a baby on her own. And she even tries bribing her sister Leah with an extra night of marital bliss with Jacob in exchange for Leah's mandrake roots, which are supposed to be fertility drugs. You guys, you can't make this stuff up. You need to get in the Word. It's found in Genesis 30, 16. Well, it doesn't work out so well for Rachel, but Leah hits another home run, and number seven is on the way. So Rachel is really feeling low right now. And then, as if on a side note... In Genesis 30, verse 22, it says, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her because she never gave up, and he enabled her to conceive. And She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace, and she named him Joseph. Now, we all know how this ends up, the importance that Joseph will play in the history of the nation of Israel. But what if Rachel had given up? What if she hadn't persisted in petitioning God? What might have the outcome be? Well, we can see that other things had to be accomplished at that time. Jacob's character was still in the process of being refined because he'd yet to wrestle with God and receive his new name of Israel. And also, being that Jacob worked and waited so long to have her, can you see how having to wait that much longer for a son from Rachel would forever cement him into his heart, claiming Joseph as his favorite, well, that prepared the stage for the drama that would unfold later when the jealous brothers plot to be rid of him and sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then Joseph was well on his way to being in position at just the right moment in history to save God's people from a worldwide famine. We can clearly see how God already had it planned, and it was all according to his perfect timeline. Mother number three is found in Genesis chapters 12 through 21, and it's the story of Sarah. And that's, once again, another very familiar one. She who was barren was to be the mother of nations. And Sarah's womb was closed up for 90 years. And Sarah was given a prophecy that she would indeed have a son, but when that time didn't happen in her time frame, she thought she needed to give God a helping hand. And there we have Hagar. And we all know how that turned out. Israel's still dealing with her presumptive behavior to this very day. When Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac, she wants to have her mistakes, a.k.a. Hagar and Ishmael, removed from her so that she doesn't have to constantly be reminded of it. Don't we all? But the best lesson that we can learn from Sarah is to always wait on God. It's better to leave it to his timing than to birth an Ishmael that we can never truly be free of. God still always accomplishes his plan, but there might have been less animosity in the Middle East through the ages if Sarah would have waited a few more minutes to God, have his plan and purpose and be God. Mother number four is in the book of Ruth, and the story of Ruth is an interesting story for sure. It's a family from Bethlehem. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, Chilion, they all moved to Moab, which is modern-day Jordan, during this famine. And they settle there, and in time, the two sons get married to a couple of local girls, Orpah and Ruth. Now, both the ladies remain barren during the duration of their marriage, and after about ten years, all three of these men die, leaving no grandchildren to comfort Naomi. Naomi, which means pleasantness, changes her name to Mara, which means bitterness, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem. And she wants her daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab, and we can speculate for the reasons why, but in the end... Orpah ends up staying, but Ruth decides to go with Naomi. And so we know the story of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Ruth ends up marrying him, and God opens up her womb. Bitter Mara becomes pleasant Naomi again after Ruth gives birth to a son named Obed, who will later become the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Ruth was most likely past her prime when she gave birth to baby Obed. Well, maybe she was determined motherhood wasn't going to be in her future. But why do you just suppose that God had closed up her womb in Moab? Well, we can't know for sure, but perhaps if she'd had a child, Ruth may have been more inclined to remain in Moab because her parents, after all, would have wanted those grandbabies close by. Or Naomi would never have wanted to return to Bethlehem for the same reason. Or maybe Ruth might not have been as appealing to Boaz if she had someone else's child. Would there have been an Obed, or a Jesse, or a David? God's purpose was unfolding all along the way, even while Ruth and Naomi were going through this terrible heartache in Moab. He was certainly positioning people and places and things in accordance to his will and to bring about his good plans and purposes. If Naomi's sons would have survived, she wouldn't have needed a kinsman redeemer who became the prototype for ours. It's also important to note that Ruth did not become bitter like Naomi did. Ruth did not allow all of the difficulties that she was facing or the hardships that had come her way to slow her down or to stop her from reaffirming her commitment to Naomi and to the true God that Naomi was serving, and she was beginning to come to know through her. Ruth was willing to step out and to begin a new life, even though she had no clue what that life would even look like because she trusted in whatever glimpses of God that she had seen in Naomi. And then she set to work to begin to know him as her own God. And because she remained fruitful, she became David's great-grandmother, and Ruth is in the lineage of Christ. Mother number five is our last mother, and she's found in Luke chapter 1, and it's the story of Elizabeth. This is another familiar one. Elizabeth was old, and so was her husband, Zachariah. It was almost a recreation in the New Testament of our Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah. And I wonder if they ever said to each other, hey, do you think if he did it for them back then, he'll do it for us? Elizabeth was barren for a really, really long time. Yet another postmenopausal miracle was on the horizon. But why? Why couldn't they have had other children? Why were they only supposed to have this one special baby boy, John the Baptist? Well, personally, I think it had more to do with Mary, the future mother of Jesus, than it was about Elizabeth. Mary wouldn't have been born until Elizabeth was already old. Plus, knowledge of Elizabeth's miraculously conceiving was the sign that Mary gave that she really did see an angel and that the child inside of her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. John couldn't come on the scene until Jesus was on the way. And Jesus couldn't come down until time was ready on earth and it had to be God's special time. Alexander the Great first had to conquer the known world and establish the Koine Greek as a common language. The Romans yet had many roads to build across the land. And both of these details, separated by hundreds and hundreds of years, were necessary keys for the gospel to be carried swiftly around the world just a handful of disciples as they fulfilled the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. So it's very rarely about us. God is weaving this massive tapestry, and he alone knows when to pull in the blue thread and when to pull in the green. He's the master designer, and his plans and promises and desires and words and burdens that he puts in our heart, they're for his purpose. Elizabeth was still serving God, and so was her husband even in this time of waiting. And they didn't get bitter, and they didn't lose faith when what they wanted or what they thought God had promised them wasn't happening. They continued to serve him and to make themselves available. Well, Elizabeth finally conceives, and six months later, she's full of the Holy Spirit, and she's prophesying over Jesus while he's still in Mary's womb. Elizabeth didn't allow herself to quit. She stayed faithfully connected, continuing in her faith, even when it seemed that the season of waiting would never, ever end. And in God's time, it finally did. Now remember the common thread that I mentioned at the beginning of this message, the thread that God was using to join all of these separate personal vignettes into one big one? Well, that common thread or denominator was Jesus. Sarah had to give birth to Isaac. Isaac would be the father of Jacob, who becomes Israel, the father of the Hebrew nation whom Christ would come from. Rachel, she had to give birth to Joseph because a worldwide famine was on the horizon. And Joseph was instrumental in preserving this fledgling Hebrew nation of just 70 souls from starvation when he became the prime minister of Egypt. No Hebrews, no Jesus. Hannah had to give birth to Samuel. Israel was in a time of transition from judges to kings. Samuel anointed the kings, he gave voice to the words of God as his prophet, and he represented the priesthood, prophet, priest, and king, all three coming together in the nation of Israel so that the concept of the prophet, priest, and king could be planted in the minds and the hearts of Israel, preparing them for a future time when they would witness its fulfillment in the form of Jesus Christ. Ruth had to give birth to Obad because he would be the grandfather of David, and through David the Messiah would come. And Jesus is called the son of David, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Elizabeth had to give birth to John because he was the forerunner to Christ, prophesied in the Old Testament book of Malachi, preparing the way for the Lord. These five examples bring us to the exact same place, Jesus. And all were birthed out of prolonged periods of waiting. Now, these five women eventually gave birth to a son, and to them it was an answer to prayer. Finally, I get to be a mother. But God always saw it as a carefully constructed plan consisting of many different people and a timeline that spanned the distance of 1,992 years from Abraham to Jesus. Seeing how dedicated God was in bringing about his purpose perfectly through these human vessels, shouldn't we have peace and a confidence that he will bring them to pass in our lives as well. After all, he placed those desires and promises in us in the first place. God wants his children to find purpose and hold on to their hope in these periods of waiting and not fall into despair. The Old Testament shows us the importance of memory stones or markers, even in the lives of these women that lived long ago. We look at them, and we learn from them, And we become encouraged when we remember what God accomplished there. And God's unchanging. God is absolutely good. God is the embodiment of love, and he's always, always faithful. Maybe the purpose he wants us to find in the waiting is a fuller understanding of his character and perhaps even of our own. How will we emerge from this? Will our faith be stronger? God's our loving father, and he wants us to grow into strong, mature sons and daughters. And sometimes we have to endure hard seasons because he wants us to practice what we say we know. That's how we grow. God is all about revealing his and perfecting our character. Uncomfortable times expose places in us that might need just a bit of tweaking. But God will help us. He will unveil his nature to us if we allow him to, and he'll teach us many things as we undergo this discipline of delay. This is why it's so important that we get the word of God into our hearts, because it's how we get to know him. The word is what we rely on to help us when we find ourselves in these prolonged seasons. And instead of getting frustrated or bitter, we learn how to use the word of God to speak life to our soul. King David, he understood this brilliantly. In Psalms 42, 11, he asked, why are you depressed? Oh, my soul, why are you upset? Wait for God, for again, I will give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. Wait for God. Ask him what he wants you to learn in this place. Speak life to your soul. and Get an arsenal of scriptures like Psalm 139 that we heard this morning, or like our text for today, Psalm 138.8, the Lord will work out his plan for my life. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Go ahead, remind God of his promises. Rachel did, and then remember, remind yourself that he's faithful and loving. His plan for you is always, always good. Don't quit. Don't lose hope. Don't give in to discouragement. Stay active in prayer. And be ready, spending time in his word, built up in your faith, exercising your gifts. Keep serving him in any and every capacity that he asks you to. Because it's not about you. It's not about how you feel. You have to stand in truth, not emotions. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. But God alone controls that timeline, and he also has the definition of slow. Waiting is never easy, especially when these seasons are prolonged. But God is still God, even in the midst of them. And he, if he's promised you something, he is going to bring it to pass. Now, it's easy to get hung up on the timing because we come into this with this great expectancy in our own timetables. We love the sudden of God, but we're not so crazy about those waiting times. And sometimes when it doesn't play out the way we want, we get disappointed, and we settle into this kind of a rut spiritually. And I remember 25 years ago, there was a prophet that came through the church and spoke over me that I would be preaching all over the world someday. And although it resonated in my spirit deep down, because that was something that I'd felt for a really long time since I was a little girl, at the time it seemed impossible because all I could see were dirty dishes and dirty diapers. I didn't see a missionary to the nations. And even though it didn't sound remotely on my horizon, I didn't blow it off, and I didn't label him as a false prophet. Instead, I trusted God that if it was going to be, he would have to be the one to bring it to pass. He'd have to because I couldn't even fathom the how. But I began to prepare. And as I was raising my kids, I taught Sunday school. I led Bible studies. I volunteered as a counselor for youth camps and conventions. And that in itself speaks volumes. I studied, I listened, I learned, I practiced, and I prepared. Because if and when that door was finally opened, I was determined that I was going to be ready. And it was a long, long season. But I did my best to faithfully endure. And Believe me, my best many times was not that great. But God did it. And in the fullness of his time, doors opened, and I've been to many nations doing exactly what that long-ago prophet said. God always keeps his promises. And we can trust him to help us keep the faith and to even find purpose in those long seasons of waiting. So if the worship team would come, I want to thank you for your patience and endurance of listening to me this morning. I hope that you were able to receive something from this message today because I know very often we get stuck in a rut, and it's hard for us to see beyond that, and that's why they call it a rut because when you're there, all you can see is what's around you. But in those times, it's important to not look in front but to look up because that's where your help comes from. That's where the light is. And so if we could stand, we'll let the uh, musicians get get going on some music for just a moment. I never, ever, ever like to conclude a message without giving an opportunity for there to be a response. Most importantly, a response to salvation. So if there's somebody here today that has never, ever asked Jesus into their heart to be the Lord of their life, if you've never submitted your will to his, I hope you maybe got some insight or some encouragement from these words to see what God did. He's a living God. He's an active God. And as he moved in people's lives, he wants to be a part of yours and to move in yours. So if you've never accepted him, today could be that day for you if you choose. And, or if you're away from God because you've gotten frustrated or discouraged and you've kind of stepped away, just all you have to do is open your heart. And just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to run my own life. Today I want to stop, and I want to acknowledge that I can't do this by myself. I need a Savior. And I invite you to come in, take away all my sin, give me a new heart and a new beginning. And today, on Mother's Day, could be that beginning for you. But I know, in general, most of us are tired. It's been a really tough couple of years Maybe you've been struggling in an area of your life. Maybe you feel discouraged because you've been waiting so long to see a breakthrough. Maybe you've wanted to see someone healed. and Maybe you've wanted a loved one or a child or a spouse to come to Christ, and you've prayed and you've been faithful, but you haven't seen anything change. Maybe you've been holding on to a promise that he gave you, but you've yet to see it come to pass. Proverbs 13.12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. God doesn't want you feeling hopeless. He wants to fulfill that longing in your heart because that's why he placed it there in the first place. But sometimes this involves waiting for his perfect time and hanging on. So whether you're waiting for God to open that big ministry door or bring your prodigal child home, heal a sickness, save a spouse, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself right now, Trust him. Remember what he did in the lives of these women that we heard about this morning. Think about what he's done in your own life in the past. And If you're in a place today where you're feeling dry or discouraged or frustrated or you're just plain tired, I invite you to come to the altars because he's here. We felt him already today in the service. He longs to give you a refreshing in your spirit. He wants you to be encouraged. and That's why he picked these stories and many, many more to put them in the word so that we could be encouraged in our own hearts. So don't quit. God will keep his promises. The altars are open. I invite you to come, and I'd love, love, love to pray with you.